0: Vine Pair's New York City headquarters. I'm Adam Teeter.
1: And I'm Joanna Sherino.
0: And
2: in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And this is the Vine Pair Podcast.
0: Joanna and Zach, guys. We are like in September. This is
1: yeah. weird.
0: <laughs> I don't know how to feel. Also, are you so are you in the camp that this time of year is still summer or is it fall? I'm curious where you both fall on this.
1: <laughs> fall for me.
0: Really? So after Labor Day for you, like full stop, it's fall.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's still quite warm in New York, but... It's
0: going to be 85. (laughs) I know. You know, okay, so... It's depressing. So you're just... Yeah, you're one of those. Okay, what about you, Zach? (laughs) I
2: I think that my uh, opinion on this has changed over the last few years. I was a staunch, like, summer is not over kind of person. Um, And I still am very sympathetic to that general perspective. Uh, (laughs) But with a child who's going to school... it's now fall that's my stance <laughs> so like if you're so if your kid went to school back
0: to school like like they do in like the south the first week of August you'd say that was fall too
2: well I don't live in the south mm. so I can't I can't say but for me personally uh here where where school does start in September it, it feels pretty fallish even if it's not 85 degrees it's quite nice actually but uh but yeah I mean like the other one for me is like I think uh, you know, for both for in whether you're in New York or in Seattle, like the, the days start getting pretty noticeably shorter mm-hmm. this time of year and you're like, Man, it is dark by eight eight fifteen and that that's like a fall mm. feeling to me. You know, when I'm finishing dinner and it's getting dark out, that's that's not summer.
0: Yeah, okay. Fair.
1: What about you, Adam? Yeah,
2: exactly.
0: <laughs> I mean, I would like it to still be summer, but mm-hmm. it's probably fall.
1: Mm-hmm. It's so annoying.
0: <laughs> I'm Fall's just mostly best. annoyed by Oh, I love fall as a season. Yeah. Uh I just, you know, am I'm just already sick of Keith Beaver's tro- trolling. Just in general? No, just trolling <laughs> with the pumpkin spice shit. Oh. I don't like pumpkin spice. He <laughs> needs to give it up. It's old. You know, no one's, I'm Does not going to get into it. You know, he just wants me to know how mu- how amazing it is. And you know, I'm just, I'm not feeling pumpkin spice well know, know something home.
2: is, we'll know you've been kidnapped if the, if you come on the air one day and tell us how much you, enjoy he'll, he'll, he'll be here,
0: he'll be here holding a pumpkin above my head saying, here, drop it on my head I, if I don't say that I love pumpkin spice. Uh,
2: I, that, yeah, I could see him doing that. A, I bet Keith
0: yeah. would even like pumpkin spice wine.
2: Oh, <laughs> oh man. Well, you know, something for season three of Wine 101, I suppose. I know,
0: seriously. Um, <laughs> Also I'm pretty pumped this week because you know this is the this is this week uh we just launched last week the first episode of Cocktail College which uh yes. listeners of the podcast will get to hear a, a preview episode of if you are into cocktails man you got to check out this new uh this new podcast we just launched it's uh, hosted by Tim McCurdy our senior staff writer and it's uh every week he tackles one cocktail doing a deep dive mm-hmm. with a really famous bartender who's well known for making that drink Um, the first episodes on the old fashioned, and he talks to the bartender. I'm not going to, um, give too much away. So you have to listen, but he talks to the bartender who is not only famous for the drink, but taught a very famous actor how to make the drink. And that actor made the drink in a movie that came out recently and is considered by many as the best cocktail scene ever. So you gotta listen to the podcast to uh, to hear who this person is and and who the actor is and what the scene is. But uh, good listen a, it, date, Adam. Yeah, thank yeah. you. It's, it's <laughs> great. It's great though, and it really made me crave an old fashioned. So before we talk about what we what I drank this past week, uh, what about the two of you, Joanna?
1: Um, this past week I had some. Let's see, some interesting things. I had a a new hard seltzer that I learned about through VinePair, Lunar hmm. Hard Seltzer, which was very good. I had the yuzu flavor. Um, I had. I tried some Interborough beer, Bush Bushbird Pilsner, which was good. Um, but what I'm most excited about is something that I've been wanting to do for a long time. Back in the day, at a bar called Booker Index, which was- Yeah, great, that was a great bar. Great bar. Uh, one of my favorite cocktails was the Banana Hostino, um, which I, I, I understand he brought back at existing conditions, but I never got to go there before it closed- Anyway, I love this cocktail. It was a banana rum cocktail. It had some lime and a coconut water ice cube. He put the recipe for it out into the world. I think it might be in his book, um, Liquid Intelligence. Anyway, it requires this um, technique, like a, a centrifuge to to clarify the oh, banana wow. rum. And I've always wanted to do it. Obviously, I don't have a centrifuge, but I found... Um, I found a recipe for it online that doesn't require it, and it's banana, banana's rum and pectinex ultra, which is like this enzyme that breaks down pectin and what helps clarify <laughs> without a centrifuge. Um, Did you so wear goggles while doing this? I didn't. Right I didn't. Okay. <laughs> it was honestly very simple. Um, you blitz that all up, and then you let it sit, and then you um, strain it through like a Chemex strainer so i okay. i made a uh, filter rather so i made the rum and i'm really excited to make the cocktail this weekend
0: oh that's Ooh. awesome mm-hmm. i love a good project like that mm-hmm. very cool Crazy. now you have to tell us how the pro- how the cocktails when you i will it. i will very cool yeah. very cool i mean i favor cocktails from bars too but they're not that complicated <laughs> <laughs> um zach what about you
2: uh well you know I was uh, unfortunately the, the whole family was sick this past weekend so yeah you sound uh, a
0: little stuffed up right now buddy no
2: still still uh, <laughs> still getting over there otherwise <laughs> otherwise fine but yeah just the you know the lingering congestion that's a, maybe the other reason it feels like fall to me you know I got sick so um, <laughs> and uh, but uh, yesterday I had a, a really fun uh, did a wine dinner with a, a chef uh, friend of mine who I partner with on some events here in Seattle and it was centered around. Uh, my favorite vintage of Washington wine uh, that I've experienced, which is 2011. Uh, so we got to pour five wines um, from that vintage from uh, five different producers, including a sparkling wine, a white, a couple of reds, and, a, and an ice wine. And it was really fun, um, really delicious wines. Uh, I got to open a double magnum of one of the wines, which is always kind of cool, and people, you know, get a <laughs> get a kick out of that. Um, so they were all really good. But honestly, I, the the star of the show, in some ways, for me was the was the ice wine, which like that category is not something I, I drink ice wine and sweet wines in general, but ice wine in particular, very, very rarely. Mm. Um, they're not easy to find, you know, true ice wines anyhow. Uh, but there's something about that style of dessert wine where you capture the like purity of the fruit in a way that most other dessert wines are, you know, like the concentration of flavor comes through drying or through like fungal rot, basically that affects the flavor. And, and with ice wines, you're like, you know, you are kind of freezing it. And so you get a, a fresher tasting wine, even a decade later, um, which is cool. Uh, it was just a, a fun thing, uh, and I mean, you know, I haven't done a wine dinner in, you know, I don't know, almost two years at this point. Um, so it was fun to get to do that again and to get to to share wine with with people who are excited about the experience. So yeah, how about you, Adam? What you 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 traveled? You you yeah, you're I a, an international man <laughs> of of uh, leisure or something. Yeah, I had one of the greatest experiences I've
0: had post COVID. Uh, mm-hmm. last Friday night. And that is that it could have happened anywhere, but it happened to happen in Saratoga Springs, New York. So, uh, and, and the reason I say this is because we um, went up to Montreal for a wedding and decided to like break up the drive by stopping in Saratoga, which is I think, like, you know, halfway basically between New York mm-hmm. and Montreal. And um, I didn't realize, because <laughs> I'm stupid, that it was race- weeks. So I guess, (laughs) yeah. So Saratoga is like one of the most famous, uh, cities in America for horse racing. And I think it has one of the last, um, sort of, you know, tracks that are still very historic. They haven't been modern. It hasn't been modernized really. Um, people still dress up to the races. It's really cool. Um, but I kind of didn't realize that I just wanted, there was this cool hotel, which we're going to talk about in the next segment I wanted to, to stay at. Um, but so I – it was very hard to get a reservation at restaurants for dinner. Mm-hmm. And so when I called to get a reservation, um, they said they would – they had two seats at the bar. And I was, we went to this really cool restaurant called uh, Celevo, which mm-hmm. basically – I'm going to go out on a limb and say it was like it, – it basically everything about it was like carbone, but better English okay. and less, and less uh, pretentious and thinking more, like cool kid. Like it was really – it was very, very cool. Um The food was just as good as Carbone Um, and it just didn't have that like we're better than you vibe. So – but what was crazy is we were seated at the bar and COVID distance, right, but still at the bar and Naomi and I became friends with Kevin and Heidi. (laughs) It was just like the coolest thing. We just like – like they started talking to us and then we had this entire conversation like during dinner with this couple who was sitting at the bar who was just like – super friendly. They were also up from New York. You know, they, um, actually had invested in a horse, in a racehorse, which I learned all mm-hmm. about horse racing because I've never really been someone into horse racing, but it was just really interesting to learn and just meet people that you normally would not just rant, you know, normally yeah. meet. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we went and got a drink with them at another bar afterwards. Oh, just, that's
1: amazing. Yeah. It was
0: just really, <laughs> really fun. Um, so, I mean, I happened to drink a really good bottle of, um, we're on a Roddy at dinner, but, uh. and, and I had an aviation cocktail first, but mm-hmm. like the, the coolest thing was actually just this, you know, event that hasn't happened in like 18 months. I used to love sitting at the bar. And, yeah. you know, if you happen to have friendly people that sat next to you, that was even better because you had, you got to have those connections and meet people. And, you know, it was, we went home, you know, we're back to the hotel that night. Just being like, Oh my God, I can't believe it we had missed this. Hmm. There's just like that magic of sitting at the bar that you don't realize until you go back to do it again, you know, for the first time again. So I will definitely sit at the bar more often uh, now that I feel like there's more places that are requiring that you have, you know, a vaccine or dine and things like that. And hopefully there'll be more people that I get to meet. Yeah. So I, I, you know, as a a good segue here, one of the reasons we stopped in Saratoga um, was because of this hotel. Uh, so Naomi is really into design, um, and she has always followed this this design uh, company, Studio Tac. And they actually have now rebranded as a as a different post company. And they're they're a very well known uh, hotel design company. They do lots of like really cool boutique hotels. And so they designed a hotel that we'd stayed at a long time ago in Barcelona called Casa Bonet. And I think they've actually they actually did dogfish heads. Um, the dogfish head oh, okay. in. And some other really cool stuff. And so they have a hotel that they – So the only hotel they've ever designed that they actually also own is in Saratoga Springs and it's called the Brentwood. And one of the things that they do and a lot of these boutique hotels have done over the last few years that I've really noticed is one of their biggest selling points is the bar. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really interesting to me how much the hotel bar has become cool again like there was a time, especially when I traveled, really like early days when I was like working for the record label, where like you'd stay at the Hilton and like the hotel bar was kind of sad. Like you did oh, not yeah. stay to have <laughs> drinks at the hotel bar, right? But in the last five to ten years, the hotel bars become very cool again. Even in New York, um, there's you know now some of the best bars are in hotels, which is really interesting because that was never the case. Um, and so I don't know. Like I, I'm, I'm very curious. When you examine the hotel bar, of like, do you do you now hold the hotel bar to the same standard you would a regular hotel? I mean, a regular bar, right? So, like this 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 you know bar the Brentwood, not to one hundred percent criticize, but they push a lot of really great cocktails, but the cocktails actually weren't that great, mm.
1: sure, that
0: right? So, and they were still expensive. Yeah. So, you know, it clearly worked. It was a hook. I was really excited. Um, but then, you know, like as you'll learn if you listen to Cocktail College, um, the ice they used was like ice machine ice. Mm-hmm. And the the cocktail I, I ordered because I had been in the mood because I'd been listening to Tim's first episode on the old-fashioned was an old-fashioned, and it was really watered down because of that ice. Yeah. And so it like wasn't a 100% amazing experience, but they definitely hooked me thinking I was going to get that experience because of how they positioned themselves as like this great craft cocktail bar. So. I don't know. I'm curious to have a conversation just with the both of you about like hotel bars in general and sort of how you view them. And do you think that, you know, have you seen the same trend that I have that sort of, you know, new cool boutique hotels have really used the bar as a key marketing component when it comes to getting you to stay there?
1: I actually have a question first. So, like, what was the vibe of the bar? Because I feel like for me, going to a hotel bar is partially for the Cocktails and the drinks that I'm gonna have. And I know that I'm
0: very Freeman's.
1: Okay. So like very,
0: very Brooklyn, like very cozy,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah. Dark. And
0: like and now because of COVID, they were encouraging people to sit outside. So like outside mm-hmm. there was like benches and a fire pit. Mm-hmm. Um but yes, very, like, very craft cocktail. Like mm-hmm. very craft cocktail.
1: Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with you. I've seen I've seen this trend as well, and I think it is a draw for me as a traveler too. like for smaller towns, like upstate New York and excuse me, across the, like across the country. Like if I'm exploring a small town and there's a hip boutique hotel or something, I'm, even if I'm not staying there, I'm going to probably check out the bar or the restaurant or something like that. Um, So I definitely think that it's been happening, but I also think that there's something like the older storied hotel bars, there's something really wonderful and appealing about those to me. Like I think about, you know, Bemelman's at the Carlisle in Manhattan, but um, even the rum house at the Edison was a place that I used to go quite a bit. Uh, it's in Midtown and it's a horrible area, but that bar was kind of like a refuge from, from 42nd street. Um, <laughs> right. And, and and I think that, it's so there's that like old school type of hotel bar that I think is really wonderful, and then this new thing that we we're seeing happening, um, yeah, which is really interesting because I think for those smaller towns, it is it has to be a draw. Otherwise, if you don't have people staying there, how else are you going to get? How else are you going to like do business? I guess
0: it's so interesting you say that. I think that like yeah, there's like these two different kinds of hotel bars, and then you have like your. You know Marriotts of the world, but like right, right, like, <laughs> and
1: then there's you know, the third. <laughs> it's
0: either it's either these like really old school, very historic, amazing hotel bars. Like I'm thinking of like even like you know the Sazerac inside of uh, the Roosevelt in New Orleans, like mm-hmm. that, right? Oh, great. Or, bar. or you have what seems to be this same model of bar at all these boutiques, right? right? It's like sort of Brooklyn, very craft, like. It's not Death and Company. It's kind of I, I don't even know how to describe it, but they all look very similar. They all have similar fonts. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? But and it's Yeah. But it's it's in and they it's and it's different. It's not trying to copy like the old historic big amazing bar with like the bar peanuts and stuff like that, right? It is it is supposed to basically make you think you are.
2: At a great
0: cocktail bar in Brooklyn, San Francisco, L.A., yeah, I don't know.
2: Okay, so I'm gonna. I have a couple of thoughts here. The first is that I think what what you societally expect from a hotel bar both has and has not changed uh, over the years. Mm-hmm. I think the 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 basic expectation is the same. It's just the form it takes that is different. And so, when you think about what what role a hotel bar plays, in the most part, for the most part, it's a for the hotel guests, of course. But it's also for a certain kind of, you know, it's actually not maybe that dissimilar from the experience you were describing um, at the restaurant that you um, went to in Saratoga Springs, Adam, which is like, you go to hotel bars to meet people and both like in the sort of lurid traveler, you know, one night stand kind of way, but also just in the like (laughs) traditionally interesting people travel and, and people who travel are interesting and, I've known plenty of people who enjoy hanging out at hotel bars because they're just interesting people to talk right. to um, in a way that, you know, a lot of, frankly, other kinds of cocktail bars, even pre-COVID, were not really centered around socializing with people who you didn't come with. I mean, one of the great cocktail bar experiences I had in my life in terms of the the cocktails was um, Franklin Investment in Philadelphia. But, like, there you are, like, siloed off with your party and, like, you would never – like just randomly start a conversation with someone else, because like you are very clearly do, they're doing your own thing. And again, so this is long before COVID. Um, and so hotel bars just have that vibe kind of, no matter what the the trappings of the bar are, you know, the expectation is that a lot of people are there by themselves because they're traveling by themselves or they're mm-hmm. maybe with one or two other people. They're probably, if they're hanging out in the hotel bar, they're kind of looking to, to chat again for whatever ends. I'm not going to get to go there, <laughs> but you know, that's a thing what i will say is the other thing about hotel bars and i think this is important to note here is that they always take on the form of providing a kind of comfort right and so there was a period of time and comfort for the kind of people who are traveling right, right. and so there's a the, the the hotel bars the classics that you describe um, were comfortable to an a generation of travelers who, especially business travelers, who are almost exclusively men, white men mostly, who wanted a certain kind of experience. And they could have that experience, whether it was at any of the hotels you mentioned. I mean, I stayed at the Sealbach in Louisville, which is another old classic hotel with a storied uh, cocktail named after it. And beautiful bar, great place, but definitely built around that same general idea. And now what the generation of of travelers like us wants is yeah, the trappings of a cool cocktail bar. And so mm-hmm. it makes total sense for, uh, for hotels, whether they're, uh, you know, one offs or, or part of a larger brand uh, company, like I think not a large company, but like Providence hotels, which is based in Portland, um, but has hotels there and in, uh, in Seattle and in like Nashville and like, Fort Wayne, Indiana, randomly and all kinds of places. Um they, one of their big things all along has been like, they take over these old hotels and they, one of their main focuses is on the hotel bar and they're all a little different. They don't all have quite the hipster cocktail bar vibe, um, but they all are, they take a, 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 they make a huge point of developing the cocktail program because, you know, I think they see that as, as both a, as we described, a selling point for travelers Mm -hmm. and in some of these places too, you're right, a way to bring in locals. And, and it, it may be that a, great cocktail bar in a hotel in the middle of Manhattan isn't going to draw in, I mean, it can draw in locals if it's great, but it can't skate by on being okay, because there are many other options. But in a lot of other places, either it may still be the best bar in town, or for a traveler who doesn't frankly want to go that far outside of their hotel for whatever set of reasons, you know, but wants a good cocktail, like, why would you not as a business try and capture that market? Uh, It's a, it's a, it's a valuable one.
0: Yeah, I think, I think all this is, these are really good points. Um, you know, I think that, you know, the, the hotel bar is interesting because, you know, when you were talking about how people like to go to the hotel bar, what I've always thought is, what I've always thought can be problematic about the hotel bar is that if the hotel bar, like the hotel bar has, a, has an issue, right? Like you want it to be amazing if that's why you chose the hotel. Mm-hmm. But then also if it's so amazing that it attracts people from the place where the hotel is located, so locals. Right. Right. Then is the hotel bar like too crowded and hard to get into, even if you're a paying guest? Like what is
1: right. it's a careful balance. There's a
0: careful balance. <laughs> but yeah. like at that kind of hotel bar, you probably assume that you're going to get truly a great cocktail. Right. Whereas at the hotel bar where only the hotel guests are staying you're probably drinking the draft beer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or like the spirit straight. Do you know what I mean? And like what do we want out of a hotel bar? Because I found more and more that what I want is the former. Like I don't want the hotel bar just to be like my nightcap, right? I want the hotel bar to be a place where I can have a great night out and I don't have to leave the bar. And maybe that's because Mm -hmm. I'm a New Yorker. So like I also like when we travel, I really don't feel comfortable driving. Like I don't feel comfortable driving the second I have a drink, Mm -hmm. right? I really don't don't want to do it. And there's a lot of a lot of places, especially around New York, that have become really trendy over the last five or six years. You know, the Western Catskills, parts of the Hudson Valley, et cetera, they don't really have Ubers and Lyfts. And if they do, right, you yeah. could be waiting like 45 minutes. So a lot of times like I want to, if we go out to dinner, I don't really drink that much. And so if we do come back, I wanna have a really nice, I want to have a drink and beyond property i guess you would say right mm-hmm. but if it's that good am i then fighting at all the other people who are staying in other places who are like oh we heard that this hotel has the best bar yeah but at least then it's fun cuz like if, if i'm doing that at like i hate to pick on that but i'm just going to do it again the marriott <laughs> and like <laughs> you know it's just like a subpar drink and you know a or, or maybe i'm just drinking like brown straight right yeah. some sort of whiskey that's not like that's not a great experience then i'm like well i i don't want to drink anyways
2: yeah and i think this is what's fascinating about the hotel bar is that it's like under it's kind of like under siege from two different directions right it has this one uh or or like it's it's getting pulled in multiple directions maybe a better way to describe it like <laughs> th- there are the people that like us that we're talking about that want their hotel bar experience to be on par with their bar experience anywhere else right why would i drink there if the bar isn't able to meet My expectations for a a cocktail, for multiple cocktails, like otherwise I won't, right? Or I'll do it out of, you know, uh, essentially what you're describing, Adam, out of sort of like lack of other options or last resort. Or, but there's also this other piece of it, right? And it might be more true in the Marriott's or larger chains or just hotels that for whatever set of reasons cannot aspire to creating a great cocktail bar internally. And it's the outsourcing of all of that to lots of the things we've discussed on the podcast over the last year, right? All the different RTD brands that you know that are trying to get into these hotel bars, right? The the drink uh, dispensing machines, like that you we know, like Drinkworks and stuff that we've mm-hmm. interviewed, that want to be in those places, right? Like there are all these pressures uh, to sort of essentially remove the hotel bar uh from the uh, you know from the operations of the hotel and basically have it be kind of a glorified vending machine, which is not inherently a bad thing. And, and, I, and I don't want to say that that's a bad choice. Because I think in some cases, those kinds of uh, products offer a better experience than the person who they found to make a watered down Manhattan who doesn't even like know what they're doing very well. Like In the end, I'd rather have a, a, a really great RTD that someone just pours out of a bottle or opens a can or just hands to me because I want the most important thing to me is that the drink is good if I'm spending money on it. But it is interesting because I do think like you're, you're there's like the hotel bar experience is being is being, you know, stretched, I guess, is what I would say. And, and it might end up breaking into these two very different things where, where the in the future, the places that we've described that aren't going to aspire to this, the hotel bar is essentially, you know, it is not what we picture now. It's it's like I said, basically just a fancy vending machine.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with that. I also think that there's there's still a large, probably a large group of people who, who are still traveling and going to, or just fine with how the hotel oh, sure. bar at the, the mm. Marriott is. And like, will continue to patronize a place like that. Um, they're listening yeah. to us and they're like, yeah, God, I'm, yeah,
0: it's me. I'm gonna be <laughs> the worst. <laughs>
1: um, but I, yeah, I think it's very interesting that this new wave of hotel bars is catering to a younger generation. It just makes so much sense.
0: And I do wonder if, you know, part of this evolution that Zach is talking about will be even more sped up by COVID. And I do wonder how much – so like the hotel bar we're all talking about not liking, right, exists often at hotels whose primary guest is business travelers. Right. Yeah. Right? And – you know, business travelers don't really care about a great hotel right. bar. Like they are, you know, <laughs> serves like <they're>, a purpose. <laughs> it, right. right. It's, 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 so, but they care more about their loyalty points than anything right. else. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like, but the, yeah, because those, those business travelers that do care, I think will still stay at the trendy hotel and they'll, and they'll say, screw their points. Cause maybe they got points, you know, they, they're, they're doing something else. Right. But like, if that is going to disappear or not disappear, but lessen, right. If you're going to have more people say, well, you know, I'm, I'm not gonna fly for one night to Chicago from New York when we could just Zoom. Then, and so I don't need to stay at the Marriott that's, that's you know well located near the corporate office tower that I am going into to have my meeting that day. Then, will you have these hotels that are saying, okay, well, now if we have to just attract you know more general consumers who want great location in Chicago for a long weekend, we need will they need better bars because mm-hmm. I think. That is what you're definitely seeing is at least being acknowledged by these, you know, very trendy, you know, renovated motels. That's sort of what Mm -hmm. Joanna and I are talking about, right? That that's what's taken off all across the country is all these companies, and like one of them is really big now is Lark, you know, are taking Mm -hmm. these these old motels and they're fully renovating them and they're making them really cool. And most of them are putting good bars inside of them. At least in image, a good bar, right? Good <laughs> right. You may actually get there and it not be a great drink, or you know, you may have silly experiences to what I had last weekend. But they're at least trying because mm-hmm. they know that I think that's what the demographic is looking for. If it's going to be a vacation, like if it's a vacation, I think they're realizing people want to be able to have a drink where they're staying, and not just a drink, but a good drink. Like I don't want to just go get whatever beer you have on draft. And I don't want to feel like when I'm at my hotel that I'm drinking
2: in the airport lounge.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I have one last thing to add to this, which I which I think is important is it's also really important to keep in mind when we talk about all this, the, the other challenge in this whole sector, which is labor. And we've talked about labor issues in the hospitality industry uh, a couple of times recently. And I think you have to think about, you know, creating a great bar program is not easy and Mm -hmm. having the right people to staff it is not easy. And it may be that some of these renovated motels in, um, you know, in some of these places might be able to attract talent because of what we've talked about, lower cost of living. Yeah. You know, maybe you have the opportunity to have some equity. You can probably, and also a hotel has, you know, more revenue streams than just a bar does, right? So the mm-hmm. hotel can, you know, the, assuming that, you know, you have good occupancy, you can usually subsidize some of the cost of, of doing business in the bar in a way that just a bar can't. Um, and so, again, this is why I think you're going to see this real, um separation in what a hotel bar is over the next few years, again, driven by COVID, driven by the uh, labor market. Because again, if you're, if you're, if the bar that you're able to, to operate is, is little more than a, uh, you know, pour a shot of Brown kind of place, you know, at some point, does it even make sense for you to have staff to do that, right? You know, like, like, it's, that's, you know, if you're struggling to find people, you're going to find, you know, workarounds that don't involve as many people working and and at the same time it provides maybe opportunity in these places that that maybe do see uh, the service component and the and the skill component as being central to their mission as mm. being a way to to attract talent and to keep talent
0: i mean look i think that the thing that would be really well suited to most of these hotel bars that are especially trying to go the sort of craft cocktail route would be to take a piece of advice from tim's guest on the first episode of cocktail college and just master the classics because i think what happens at a lot of these trendy bars is then you know whoever consulted on the hotel and obviously then consulted on the bar you know has said hey you should have eight to ten signature cocktails right when actually what would be and so then. They they may have a list initially developed by a bartender, but then that list obviously probably evolves as someone is working there. Whereas what would be great is that if you could just go to one of these bars and there's eight to ten of the classics, right? There's just there's a really great old fashioned, there's a really great martini, because I think that that's only what people want. Mm-hmm. And you know then if you have a really great drink that's just one of the classics done superbly, and you're sitting in this place that's been so well designed and feels cool and an escape, you know, and you didn't have to wait in line or make a reservation to get into the trendy cocktail bar in your, in your actual town. Like that's all people actually want. I think.
2: Yeah. Well, certainly if you can't master the classics, then you probably should not be focusing on a bunch of experimental stuff.
0: Exactly. (laughs) Well, guys, this has been a great conversation. Um, If (laughs) anyone listening has a hotel bar that you particularly love, um, please let us know at, Podcast at vinepair.com. I would love to know about it because I'd probably like to go check it out. So, yeah, if you mm-hmm. do have a great hotel bar, let us know. And, uh, Zach, Joanna, I'll talk to you next week. Thanks so much. Sounds great. Thanks so much for listening to the Vinepair podcast. If you love this show as much as we love making it, then please leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vine Pair is produced and recorded in New York City and Seattle, Washington by myself and Zach Jabal, who does all the editing and loves to get the credit. Also, I would love to give a special shout out to my Vinepair co-founder, Josh Mallon, for helping me make all this possible. And also to Keith Beavers, Vine Pair Tasting Director, who is additionally a producer on this show. I also want to, of course, thank every other member of the Vinepair team who are instrumental in all of the ideas that go into making the show every week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again.